I like to think of myself as pretty savvy. But the truth is, I'm a fairly gullible person. And this gullibility has been a lifelong condition. There was one February long, long ago. I was probably only about 10 or 11. And I remember the month better than the year because February is that glorious time of year when Girl Scout cookies are delivered. I missed church one Sunday, and my friend Hillary called me that evening. We talked about all of the usual best friend stuff, and she said, too bad you missed church this morning. We had Samoas and milk for communion. Seriously, Samoas and milk. Oh, I had so many questions to follow up with that misstatement. Did Father Browning consecrate them just like he did with the wine and the wafers? And what did people do? How did they react? Were they shocked? Did everyone eat it? Because I don't really like coconuts, so Samoas would not have been great for me. And the biggest question of all, why not thin mints? This conversation went on for quite a while. I continued to ask questions, and she had answers for all of them. It was crazy. And I'm a bit embarrassed to admit that it never occurred to me that I should not believe her. What I couldn't believe was that I had missed what was apparently the Sunday to be at church, and it sounded like it was something of a party up at the altar. I recently texted my friend to ask if she remembered the Samoas. And her response, yep, you don't forget something like that. But really, was her follow-up question, but really, why can't the wafer be just a little delicious? And that made me laugh and got me to thinking. That wafer is actually pretty darn delicious to me. We can come to the altar Sunday after Sunday after Sunday and grow pretty immune to the whole process if we're not careful. Jesus proclaims in this week's gospel lesson the first of many I am statements. I am the bread of life. In fact, We are in the midst of several weeks of bread lessons. We get the bread. Or do we? This is one of those things that we might think we understand, but we really can't fully comprehend if we are thinking in today's terms, or at least in the terms of the comforts that most of us experience. How do we eat bread? We eat bread when we get a basket of it, hopefully warm with some nice butter, in a restaurant to hold us over just until the actual meal arrives. We eat it at home as a filler or a side dish with dinner. We eat it in the form of sandwiches where its main purpose is just to hold together all the good stuff and keep our hands from getting too messy. For most of us here in this place this morning, bread is not 
our life source. We will not die without it. This was not the case for people in Jesus' day. And it is not the case for many people in the world today where many get over 50% of their day's calories from bread. And if we're really being honest with ourselves, it's not even the case for many right here in Colorado where one in seven children are not sure where they will find their next meal. Bread is life-sustaining. It is life. Jesus' audience would have had this understanding and would have been awed by his statement and a bit skeptical. They would have seen the height of gullibility for them, especially for those who knew Jesus, knew his family, knew he came from Nazareth. It would have been so gullible to accept his statement that he was the bread that came down from heaven. Jesus had answers for their questions, and unlike my friend Hillary, he told them the truth. As the psalmist today tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are they who trust in him. So we do come to this altar every week. Week after week, month after month, year after year, some of us for our entire lives. The question is why? Is it habit? Is it conviction? Could it be that we're not full yet? It's not a question of believing that last week's Eucharist wasn't enough or that it's somehow worn off or didn't stick. I believe it is a visceral desire to repeatedly share our most important meal of the week with each other, to be reminded of what Christ did for us, means to us, and has promised us. It is to kneel side by side at the altar rail or stand side by side at the crossing with our brothers and sisters, waiting patiently for the bread of life. It's about being next to someone who may dress differently, vote differently, or even irritate us on a committee and recognize that none of that matters. As the Ephesians are reminded this morning, we are members one of another. The writer exhorts them, and I would argue us, to put away, among other things, bitterness and anger and malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. It is here within these walls of St. John's with each other on our knees at the altar rail or standing at the crossing that we are prepared to go out and face the rest of the week, the rest of the world. We are better equipped to meet the rest of life because we have practiced kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness with others who value that as well, because we have shared the bread of life 
with those who are different than we. We are filled up and better prepared to worthily serve the world in his name. Ephesians goes on to say, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. A fragrant offering, indeed. A delicious wafer, even. We don't need Samoas, the empty calories of dessert, because we are fed with the ultimate filling and nourishing staple of sacrifice, the bread of life. Whenever Bishop O'Neill presides here, we, say him, we hear him say the words St. Augustine said about the Eucharist. Behold what you are. Become what you receive. And when that wafer is placed in our hand, we have the opportunity for a brief moment to literally behold the sacrifice, the bread of life. As we receive it, we are emboldened to become better, stronger, and more desirous of becoming Christ-like. And we are reminded of our role in the sacrifice. So I thought about ending right here because it seemed really tidy. And I'm sure you've been counting how many times I could have ended already. But there's a question that's nagging at me. And I'm going out on a limb. This is not my comfort zone. Sunday after Sunday, we come here, most of us. You know why you come to this altar, and I know why I come to this altar, and why I can't not come. It's not just my job. We know how we're fed corporately and individually. So really, for most of us this morning, I've been the proverbial statement of preaching to the altar, the choir, sorry. That tells you how uncomfortable I am. (laughs) The question that keeps coming up to me, the natural follow-up, is who do you know who doesn't have any idea what's waiting for them at this altar? Who do you know who is starving? Because they've never heard of or tasted the bread of life, the bread that will allow them to live forever. Or maybe it's just someone for whom it's been a very long time since they tasted and saw that the Lord is good. Perhaps they've simply forgotten. Bishop Curry has been pushing us out of our comfort zone since the day he became presiding bishop. He has been preaching here and abroad about evangelism. He's been holding revivals. He and the Spirit have been stirring things up. So with Bishop Curry's urging, does it seem a bit selfish to keep all of this to ourselves? I'm well aware that as Episcopalians, many of us like to get down on our knees, close our eyes really tightly, and pray quietly. As Episcopalians, we like to gloss over passages like the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, 
and assume Jesus must have been talking to someone else when he commanded his followers to go out and make disciples. Surely he did not mean us, perhaps the Baptists. So I wonder what it would be like in these waning weeks of summer, in our prayer time, as we are making our petitions, counting our blessings, and interceding on the behalf of others, to actually pray for God to put the name of someone on your heart, the name of someone who could also find everlasting life at this altar, the name of someone who could be part of our or another family of faith and joyfully feast on the bread of life every week, possibly right here alongside us. I promise I'm not suggesting that you be an evangelist with a capital E. I'm asking you to pray about being invitational with a capital I. Who knows what could happen for them and for us? Because really, why can't the wafer be just a little delicious? And why can't we taste and see that the Lord is good?